Hello everyone and welcome to episode 291 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cypher book series. How are you, Al? I am. Gosh, I'm. I'm recovering as well. <laughs> oh yes, you were reco- yes, because because it's been a you, very oh, very busy, big. busy 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 week. Yeah, very. Tell busy. tell listeners why it's been a busy week. Well, um, so last week uh, I went and I launched the MS Readers on um, mm-hmm. in the Illawarra. So I. Um, spoke to about 100 kids and we talked about how amazing reading was and then I was on the telly, Mum, so yes. that was pretty exciting. That yes. was a big day in my read, my MS Readathon T-shirt and it's not too late if your kids want to sign up for the MS Readathon. Um, it goes for all of August and you can go to msreadathon.org.au. I am an author ambassador for the MS Readathon this year, which is very exciting. So that was that was a big day. And but then in case I, anyone's been living under a rock, what is the MS Readathon? Ah, uh, the MS Readathon is a is an event that's been going for forty one years, mm. Val. Let's yes. just all take a moment. Yes. Forty one years. I did it as a kid. Did you do mm, it as a kid? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It's where um, well, so it's like kids read for a reason, where they they um get sponsors and they nominate books that they're going to read, a number of books that they're going to read, and then they read and read and read and read um, and they raise money for the MS Readathon. Um, and the money for the MS Readathon at the moment goes to um, sending families who are living with MS, with someone with MS, uh, which is multiple sclerosis, to um, to camps. Like it gets, sends them off to have um, holidays together so they have some quality of lifetime and um there's, uh, I think, 25, more than 25,000 people, you know, currently living with MS in Australia. So it affects a lot of people and their families. And this is a way for them to, you know, spend time together. So it's a fantastic thing. But the thing I love about it is that it's just such a genuine um, sort of celebration of reading, of the power of mm. reading that you can, that you, can um, you know, read books. And it can, it's not only changes your life as a kid, because, of course, you know, every book you read, just you know gives you different ideas and looks at different ways of looking at life and all of those different things but it changes other people's lives as well and I think that that's you know that's the thing about it that I absolutely adore so I've been doing heaps of radio interviews and all sorts of things around that and um and then on the weekend we had the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival and I know so of course I am the um program director of the children's festival for the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival um, and we had a schools program we had the lovely Jacqueline Harvey and the fabulous Jack Heath come uh, come to to the Shoalhaven and we we visited four schools we spoke to over a thousand kids in that um, in that time um, we had a wonderful movie fundraiser on the Friday night which was a huge success and I have to say the public by Emilio Estevez is a great film like it was just such a good oh, film. Oh, I'm hanging out to see that. Oh, uh, look, it was just one of those things where you're sitting there. Like the message of it is, you know, is clear. Um, it's you know the power of libraries 
Uh, it brings together, you know, sort of lots of things that are relevant to our times. And, and obviously, you know, there's there's very few places around the world where that are not dealing on some level with homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it addresses that. And it was just a great film. It was perfect. I could not have been a better choice for our, you know, purposes for the for the night. Um, and then on the Saturday at the at the Nara Library, we had some some terrific support, of course, from our local library for the festival, uh, the Shoalhaven Libraries. And so at Nara Library, we had a, a full day of um, author talks, Jacqueline and Jack. We had a story time. I did a workshop, a sold out workshop on Woo! writing, and we had an illustration workshop um, by Cheryl Westenberg, who is a local illustrator that was almost sold out as well. Um, and then we had a tea party. Like it was a big day. <laughs> Jacqueline Harvey, I tell you what, that woman, she's amazing. She went above and beyond for our festival um, and she was terrific. So we had a tea party with her at uh, one of our local establishments called the Dog and Monocle and, um, you know, she sat down with 20 little very, very excited people um, and, and you know, sort of talked about her books and life and had photos and she was terrific. So it was a brilliant, a brilliant day. And, of course, you know, she sold like millions of books like she writes writes the amazing Alice Miranda series Clementine Rose and her latest one is Kenzie and Max and she um she's but she's so down to earth and people just I mean honestly she has got the biggest fan base in this town now it's not funny and Jack Heath Jack Heath is also incredible like he gives the most amazing talks like if you get the opportunity to have him at your school um get him in because he was there teaching kids how to spot a liar um what they needed to look for and of course he looks like he's he's like a father of two. He's written over thirty books, but he seriously looks about eighteen. Like honestly, in the flesh, we're all looking mm. at him, going, "Have you got the Dorian Gray mirror in 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 the attic, Jack? Do you? Because <laughs> you really, it's just like, he's so fresh faced. It's incredible." Um, but yeah, so it was a great weekend, but it was exhausting, and uh, so it's taken me well, a great week in fact, but exhausting. So it's taken me taken me a few days to recover, shall we say? Yeah, right. So have you had to have a a bit of a Bex and a lie down or or what are you doing well, to recuperate? Do you know, like I wanted to have a Bex and a lie down. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, Monday, I'm just going to do nothing, you know, I'm just going to whatever. But then I had so much admin I had to like catch up on, um, mm. both for the festival and for myself and all that, that it wasn't really till yesterday that I got to have my moment. And uh, I have been walking Procrastia Park. He and I have been for many, many walks, but I have been not thinking about work. Instead, I have been binging on podcasts, which is really Ooh. unusual for me. It's not what I normally do. And I am, I've been binging on true crime podcasts. Don't ask oh, yes. me why, but that's where yeah. I am. So Carolyn Overington has a new one out um, called, what's it called? I think, um, I will look it up while you let's are Let's look it up while I think it. about it. Uh, it's about the William Tyrrell case. Um, and ah, I think, yes. I think it's called Missing William Tyrrell. might be something Nowhere like that. Child. It's called Nowhere, Nowhere Child. Child, Missing yeah. William Tyrrell, yeah. So I've, found, I've always found that case to be quite interesting, so I, I've been listening to that one. And then because of that one, I then discovered um, Trace and I had to listen to that one. Mm. And then I've moved on to Unravel, um, which has got a th- it's just got three seasons of, of various Australian uh, true crime cases. So that's mm. what I've been doing. That's me unwinding, listening to true crime podcasts. Wow. I know. It's a bit of a worry, but, you know. Me thinks I, there will be a crime or thriller plot coming up in one of your books. Well, it's interesting, you know. Like I have just, I have found over the last couple of years with the manuscripts that I've been working on, um, 
the, which obviously are not published as yet, but the ones that I've been working on that I have gone more to a mystery. There's a much more of a mystery kind of as, a, angle to them. And mm. I think it's partly like I, I think I started going that way with the Adaban Cipher, yes. with the puzzle of the book and decoding mm. and all of those kinds of things. And then I've discovered as I've been writing, you know, more uh, different manuscripts that there is that mystery element of them is most assuredly coming out. They're all still for kids still. So, you know, I'm not really, um, you know, I haven't gone too gruesome with them. But, um, yeah, there's definitely that ang- aspect of them. And I think it is it is that uh, that's what I like to read and that's what I like to read yes. as a kid as well. So I feel it's kind of it's starting to really come through in my in my stories as well. It's interesting. Anyway. God, I've rambled on. No, no, you've been busy. Oh, my goodness, yes. Well. um, Don't ask me that question ever again. How are you, Al? Prepare yourself for a 10-minute answer. But before I uh, go on and ask you what's coming up for you, I just want to give a big shout-out to Craig the Literate Mechanic. That's what he's called himself. I actually want to call a book Craig the Literate Mechanic. I just think that is the best name ever. So cool. Craig the Literate Mechanic has left us a five-star review on iTunes and he's entitled it The Motivators. Yeah, and he said, I recently discovered this podcast and found it pivotal in re-energising my writing efforts. Val and Al are knowledgeable, experienced, and perhaps most importantly, extremely likeable. The side banter is so natural, yet they get down to business when it counts. Highly recommend it. Oh, my goodness, Craig, you've made our day. I'm sure I speak on behalf of Al soon when I say that. (laughs) Most definitely have. Thank you so much, Craig. Really appreciate it. Yes, and good luck with all of your writing efforts. Please do let us know what you're writing about. Make sure that you um, are in the podcast community on Facebook. If anyone is not yet in the community, it's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. And if you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, like Craig, the literate mechanic, you would make our day as well. Definitely. <laughs> so awesome. I'm actually wondering if Craig is actually on my page doing hashtag mm-hmm. write a book with Al with me because there is a Craig there. And I have oh. to say, if it is you, Craig, you're doing brilliantly because you are there every day. And in fact, you are putting down words on days when I am not putting down words. So if that is you, then go you. Put and your if hand it's not up you, and let Alison go know. other Craig. Yeah, yes, well, yes. Whatever and Craig it is that's out there doing it, you're Craig doing it brilliantly. Do yeah. let us know if you are Craig the Literate Mechanic as well. Yes, please. All right. Now, apart from you've just had this busy period, but you've also got a couple, some events coming up, haven't you, Al? I do have events coming up. So, of course, August is, is a big month big. for big month for mm. children's authors because it is book week. Uh, Book Week is coming up. I think it starts on the 19th of August from memory. It's all a bit of a haze for me. Um, And this year I think it's reading is my secret power, I think is the – is the theme for it, which, you know, ties in very nicely with the MS Readathon and my thoughts on that as well. So I feel like all of my worlds are coming together here in quite a nice way. Um, but, yes, I do have several events coming up with that. One of them is a children's literary lunch for the CBC Illawarra, CBCA Illawarra, and that's coming up on the, I think it's the 14th of August. And then uh, Book Week starts on the 19th, and I've got school visits every day that week, um, but I'm heading to Brisbane. How about that? I'm actually like I'm going yes. into state for Book Week this year. And on the 21st of August in Brisbane, uh, we will be having our very first, it's very exciting, our da, da, da. very first Your Kids Next Read live event 
and meetup. Um, I know it's very exciting. Um, and it's going to be held at St. Aidan's Anglican Girls School because uh, obviously Megan Daly is one of my co-hosts at mm-hmm. uh, in the Your Kids Next Read group along with Alison Rushby, um, the, uh, the other children's author. And we are um, going to be having the event there as part of their amazing kind of living room series, I think is what they call it. And uh, you'll be able to come along and, you know, talk. Of, we're going to be talking about all the things we talk about in the book, like, like books for reluctant readers. How do, you, how do you find great books for advanced readers? What do I need to, you know, to do to get my kids? reading um just all of the various things that we talk about regularly in the group um how to get the kids reading keep them reading also how to help them with their writing i'll be talking a little bit about the impact of reading on kids writing um and then of course there will be wine and nibbles yes. and opportunity to meet other brisbane members of our your kids next read community which is you know over eight thousand or i think getting on to eight thousand members now so it's getting um quite large um and of course it'll be just fun like we're we're all about the information and fun combined so um we'll put the link in the show notes to that but if you'd like to come along i would love to see you there i'd love to meet with you we will be talking a little bit about writing as well um so if you're interested in kids lit or you know or just coming and say hello to me megan or al then please uh, we would love to see you there link in the show notes. Absolutely. All right. And in addition to that, we wanted to talk about something that might be useful for those of you who are going to writers' festivals or conferences. And it's actually a post that's on the Australian Writers' Centre blog called Six Ways to Prepare So You Get the Most Out of Attending a Writers' Festival. Because so often we go to writers' festivals and we go and we sit in the audience and we you know, enjoy it because we've heard some good talks and stuff, but you kind of go home and think, oh, what have I got out of it apart from being entertained and informed, which is great. Have I actually made any useful connections? And it's very easy to just stay in your comfort zone and not do that and think that you've kind of done well because you've attended the Writers' Festival. But if you're an emerging writer or even an established writer, an important part of being in a Writers' Festival is is the networking. But yeah. you need to be able to do that in a way that's effective and authentic and um, doesn't annoy people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not ideal to do that. Now, I must admit there are some writers' festivals or conferences in general that I go to that I all I want to do is absorb the information because you do approach it slightly differently if you have a different set of goals, you know, if you do want to potentially um, expand your writing network. So this post gives you six things that you should do to prepare yourself for the writers' festival and I think that they're great tips. It's written by Nat Newman. And the first thing she says is study the program. And now I definitely always do that regardless of what my goal is. And I think that's really important because often things clash, (laughs) Um, sessions clash, and also you need to plan your day. And for me, I want to plan my food. (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) The food being the most important thing. Yes, make sure you do that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So study the program. And make sure you put your must-sees, you know, in in your diary or in your spreadsheet or however it is that you want to to arrange it. And then work out, well, because sometimes they're across multiple venues if you don't want to, you know, that are quite Mm. far away from each other. I did this, I was at a conference once, um, South by Southwest, the the, festival, and I mapped it all out, but I didn't realise there, in in some cases, there were... 10 city blocks. Oh, 10. Gosh, that's a lot. 
I know. And by the time I got to the destination, which was like the, the journalism strand or whatever, I was exhausted. I had, I was sweating. <laughs> like, And you needed a snack instead of a, <laughs> exactly. instead of a session. <laughs> and by that, and I was cranky. Yeah. So, you know, you got to kind of plan, definitely plan. Um, the second thing that suggests is set a goal because if your goal is to expand your writing network, well, think about, well, what does that mean? Do you actually want to meet more publishers or do you want to meet other writers so that you can compare notes? Are there particular speakers that you think that you've been, you know, fangirling or fanboying about that you'd really like to speak to? Um, is there certain information that you want to get out of it? So think of what your goals are and actually write them down because if you don't, you'll forget um, or you'll, and it's good to be, if you write it down, it's good to be reminded so that if you're in a particular session, you can go, actually, I can achieve this particular goal in this session or whatever. Um, so very, very important. The other thing is also to get social about it as in social media, you know, often the event will be on Facebook. I have met people are going to conferences because of the social media as in that there'll be a hashtag trending about it beforehand. So I'll say, oh, I didn't realize you're going to this. So let's catch up. Or there'll be a, a Facebook event where you can mark yourself as interested or going, of course, and then p- potentially connect with people beforehand. So social media is a lot more effective than just, you know, posting selfies that you're at an event, right? It's really good to know who else is on there. There was, in fact, there was, um, uh, I, I was at a, an event and because of social media, I saw that this guy who I've been a fan of for decades was at the event and because of social media, I was able to connect with him and now we're connected kind of thing. Um, I but think that, also it's worth asking, um, like, if you're part of our Facebook community, ask who's mm, going. Yes. Like, just put a shout out and say, I'm going to Brisbane Writers Festival or I'm going mm. to Byron Bay or I'm going wherever. Is anyone else going? You know, meet up for a coffee. Like, you've got, in some ways, some of the communities that you're already in are, are going to offer yes. you networking opportunities. So um, that's one, that's that's a very simple way to get social about a lot of these things because, of course, you know, we've got members from all around Australia at least and, and also internationally. So you just never quite know who's going to be there or, or and as we've always said, um, associating with the people who are, at, you know, where you're at is as important as meet, meeting people who are, you know, kind of further along the journey than you are. So mm-hmm. I think that... Um, that that's a great way to, to find a friend to go with or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's a, that's an important thing to 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 um, to do beforehand because then you kind of have a ready made set of friends at the at the festival. Yeah. Because the other thing is, and and Nat suggests this is um, take a buddy. She says if all this is still too much for you, take a buddy. It doesn't have to be a fellow writer. It could be your mum or best friend and so on. And that is great if you really, really need that crutch. But I actually get far more out of events if I go by myself and I don't yeah. take a buddy. Or if I take a buddy, they have to be a super like-minded buddy. Like like I could go with you, Al, and we yeah. would totally it would totally work. But I don't think if I went with somebody who wasn't really into writing, it would be as effective unless it's just absorbing information, of course. No, that's right. And I would also make a suggestion too that if you're really keen to meet, if you really kind of want to connect with other writers or you want to meet a speaker or whatever, do a workshop. 
go and do a workshop because it is the best way to get right inside the program straight away Mm. because you've got 20 people in a room who are interested in the same thing that you're interested in and there's a speaker that you know there's a presenter so do a workshop and you will find you know you probably find someone to go and have coffee with right there in that first you know do it first and then you've got Mm. somebody yeah definitely definitely um and of course breathe relax and enjoy (laughs) (laughs) because we do so much (laughs) oh well I find that sometimes at (laughs) sometimes at a conference I really do have to take time out and that's why if I'm actually in another city like you know um not my home city I will purposely book the hotel that's as near as possible because sometimes I need to go have a lie down (laughs) see I don't I don't do that because I don't want to miss out on anything Oh, but sometimes it's too much, you know. Sometimes yeah. it can just be. I mean, I I study the program, so I it's a it's at the point that I'm you know least likely to have FOMO, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't just take it willy nilly. I know some people who have you know gone to do their hair and they've missed out on the biggest speaker of the festival, who was a surprise kind of thing. Um. Uh, so yeah, take, make them short and snappy as well, because you will get FOMO. Don't spend a whole afternoon relaxing. <laughs> it's a 15 no. minute breather. All right. So, um, yeah, that, that post is on the Australian Writers Centre blog, which of course is at writerscenter.com.au slash blog. Right now, let's move on to our competition this week. Our competition mm-hmm. is we have three copies of The Blue Rose by award-winning author and Australian Writers' Centre presenter Kate Forsyth. Moving between Imperial China and France during the terror of the French Revolution and inspired by the true story of the quest for a blood-red rose. Author Natasha Lester has commented on it and she said, I fell headlong into this book, swept away by Vivian's spirit, the tumultuous backdrop of the French Revolution and the beauty of the love story unfurling in the gardens of the Chateau. If you're a fan of Kate's signature mix of mystery, magic, history and romance, you will love this book. Mm. Wow. Very, very exciting. If you would want to if you want to win a copy, go to writercenter.com.au slash win. That's writercenter.com.au slash win and entries close on the 5th of August. All right. Al, now, are you ready for the word of the week? Well, you know, are you ever truly ready for the word of the week? But I I will give it my best (laughs) shot. All right. So this week's word of the week is top lofty. That's top, T-O-P, lofty, L-O-F-T-Y, one word, top lofty. Do you know what it means? Do you know what? I yeah. do. do. And you? do you know why I do? Why? I've got two words for you. Georgette Hire. Oh. That yes. is why I know what this means. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and for those of you who don't know Georgette Hire. <laughs> she writes, oh, she's awesome. <laughs> she writes yes. Regen- Regency, kind of Regency novels, yep. romance, and she's like, She's been writing. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't even know how old they are. Like they, I just oh, remember. I read them when I was kid, or I like know. I just I remember 13. discovering them when I was about mm. seventeen. And I, to be honest with you, I go back and I reread them every few years. I, wow. I go through the whole lot all over again. I know. I love them. I just think okay. she's so clever. So clever. All right. So top lofty does not mean a loft at the top of the building. 
But you can probably guess what it might refer to. It means haughty or pretentious. So you might say, the top lofty socialites all tried to outdo each other to raise the most money at the charity dinner. Top lofty. There you go. Use that in a sentence this week, everyone. (laughs) All right. Um, Al, who is our writer in residence this week? Oh, this week we have the wonderful... Now, I had to ask her about how to pronounce this because I was going to go all, you know, like um, foreign accent on her and she told me I wasn't allowed to do that because that's not what they did. Um, Megan Wilson Anastasius. So I was going to be Anastasius, but no, it is Mm. Megan Wilson Anastasius. And um, we had the most amazing conversation. She um, combines this incredible knowledge of history and archaeology Um, with a a sort of uh, crime series that she writes. And uh, so we had a a full discussion about, you know, how she managed to do that because I've read um, both of the books in this series and she she does it incredibly well. Like she builds the most incredible worlds um, and you can can tell she knows what she's talking about but she's not smashing you over the head with it. So anyway, here's our interview and you can hear the whole thing. Megan Wilson Anastasius studied archaeology, art history and classical studies, is an experienced archaeologist and holds a PhD in art history and cultural economics. She's also a scriptwriter and researcher for film and TV and the author of three novels. Her latest book is The Emerald Tablet, the second novel in her Benedict Hitchens series. Welcome to the program, Megan. It's an absolute delight to be here, Alison. Now, Writing your introduction was one of the more challenging aspects of my life because you have crammed so much stuff in and just such big subjects that you've obviously been fascinated by over the years. Um, So it's all been very interesting thus far, but let's talk about your novels and how your first novel, what was your first novel and how did that come to be published? Uh, Well, it was called The Honourable Thief uh, and it it came about because uh, I suddenly discovered uh, that I I could possibly have an ambition to write a book as well as just read a book. I've always been absolutely uh, in love with books. It's been my favourite pastime since I was was able to read. And uh, and the idea of actually writing a book that... uh, that, uh, that I might actually be able to do it myself was, was quite a revelation. It came about when I wrote, uh, co-wrote The Water Diviner with my husband, Andrew Anastasius. Uh, and I got to the end of that process and thought, God, I've, I've really enjoyed this. I think I might want to go again. And there was an idea that had been germinating in my mind for a very long time. Uh, it was a story about a disgraced archaeologist uh, uh, who got himself in terrible trouble in in Turkey in the 1950s. And so that was the germ of the idea that then developed into The Honourable Thief, which I then approached Kate Patterson, uh, the wonderful Kate Patterson at Pan Macmillan, who had published The Water Diviner, and uh, she expressed interest and, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. So so your first novel, The Honourable Thief, that, that you wrote solo, was that, so it wasn't the first thing that you'd ever written outside of academic works, was it? Because you you did co-write The Water Diviner, which was an interesting thing because with that one, you and Andrew took a script and turned it into a novel. Is that correct? Have I got that right? Yeah, you have. You have. And in fact, if you look on Wikipedia, it's the other way around and I keep trying to correct it and they won't. <laughs> I always tell my students, never rely on Wikipedia as a reference. I actually point to that and say, here's proof that it's wrong. <laughs> um, yes, it started my husband, Andrew. I've got too many Andrews in my life, so I've got 
my husband Andrew, and then Andrew Knight, who's a very dear friend and also a wonderful scriptwriter, uh, co-wrote the script for The Water Designer, and it was an absolutely beautiful, nuanced story with really complex characters and a lovely narrative arc. It was just a beautifully written uh, script and story. And when uh, the script was purchased uh, or acquired by Russell Crowe to, to, do, to, to develop into film, um, inevitably when a script gets transformed to uh, something on screen, you lose a lot of the uh, original intention of the, the story. And I was so in love with the story that, that the two Andrews had written that I said I insisted to my husband, the only time I, I, I'm not a pushy, don't like being a pushy person, don't like being a pushy wife, and I said, Mate, you have to hold on to the book rights for this. You need to turn this into a book so you can keep the uh, spirit of your original story. Uh, and he he did, and uh, then did very little about actually starting to write it. So I started writing it uh, and kept writing. And he did about a quarter. I did about three quarters, and <laughs> it uh, became the honourable. Sorry, it became the Water Diviner, the novel. <laughs> yeah, so it was a wonderful process. I, I had such a great time doing it. And, but that was the first sort of longer form of, you know, fiction yes. that you had done. And did you it find was. it challenging, like in the sense of, you know, you were obviously working off a, a screenplay and then, as you said, adding the nuance, like almost putting the nuance back in, weren't you, as, you know, to creating the nuance. Yeah, um, was absolutely. It, was it challenging for you or did, was it just something that you, I guess because you've obviously done a lot of academic writing over your time. Which I hate. Academic, I hate it. <laughs> I it's the worst, the worst. Can't stand it. One does not become a PhD <laughs> in anything without having done quite a lot of it. So you would understand. No. <laughs> Did you have to kind of bash the academia out of yourself to write the novel? No, no. I, I it's, no, it's the opposite. My, I had to beat the um, adjectives and adverbs out of myself to do academic writing. Oh, okay. So, um, in fact, no. My my natural way of writing is very non-academic. <laughs> so it was actually the opposite. Okay. Uh, and. Yeah, so no, that 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 was that that is effort. That is walking across broken glass for me. Can't stand it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fiction's obviously something that you really enjoy writing. Then, and is is it something that you've done along the way? Have you always been someone who's done short stories? Like, were you writing stories as a kid, or is this something that you've like literally come to, you know, with the process of of creating the Water Diviner novel? Uh, look, no, I, 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 many false starts over the years from, I think probably the first, the first book I wrote was probably when I was about nine or 10. Um, it was about just time travel, a time traveling, um, brother and sister actually. Um, so no, it is something I've, I've always, always loved the idea of, but it did seem utterly impossible. You know, you look at a book on a shelf, you go and buy books. I've got, you know, study lined with books. The thought of actually, uh, creating one yourself is a little daunting. And when I think about it, as much as I'm cursing my academic writing experience, when I think about it, writing a 120,000-word PhD, despite the fact I hated writing in that style, that did actually... That was actually a bit of a, a bit of a revelation to me, the realisation that I could actually do something that long. Mm. So actually it probably was helpful in a way when I think about it. I never really thought about it till now. So thank you for pointing that out no, to me. No problem. <laughs> this is my service to yeah. you. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so The Honourable Thief then, uh, which is, you know, your first book to feature disgraced archaeologist Benedict Hitchens, who is a 
lovely, lovely character. Um, you know, when I say Thank lovely, I don't much. mean, you know, really nice chap. <laughs> I mean, just just fabulous, <laughs> nuanced character. Um, and that you. was also your first uh, solo novel. Um, so that, that experience of, you know, writing that longer work when you're creating the world, when you're writing on your own, when you're not working off a, of a screenplay that already exists, what was sort of, you know, you know, what did you find probably the most challenging about that aspect of it? Look, I think the most challenging aspect was wrestling the plot into shape mm. uh, because the characters sprung to life very quickly and easily and they, they sort of run around in my brain the whole time having parties. Um, so the characters were very uh, vivid and very immediate and I sort of knew where I wanted to start. I kind of knew where I wanted to end but as soon as you start contriving a plot that is relatively complicated and you want to embed backstory and things like that, it, it, it is a, that's a, involves major mental exercises. And it's quite funny because when I've been working in film and TV, it's a very collaborative environment where you shout out to people and say, hey, listen, I mean, should we go this, how we get there? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So it's very collaborative. But uh, but when you're plotting in that for, you know, for a novel, for um it's a very solitary thing. Mm. Uh, fortunately, my lovely husband Andrew is um, a very good sounding board because he he's also obviously writing scripts and things for TV. So he he's been an enormous help. Where I'd be, you know, thinking, oh, how am I going to get from A to B? And I'd yell out and, hey, what can I? What are you, any ideas here? And he'd have stupid ideas, but occasionally have good ones. <laughs> just even just the process of talking, talking through it with somebody else is really useful. So that was probably the most challenging thing. Um, it's something this, for the Emerald Tablet. I feel my brain is, is sort of on track more, and I found that that process a lot more straightforward for the, for the Emerald Tablet. It's funny you say that because I've read both of them and. I found the first book to be, I felt like there was a lot more character study almost in that. There was a lot of character development yeah. going on in that. The second one, because the characters are actually quite, you know, well entrenched, established, it, it was a much more, I could see the second book as a movie, like from start to finish, like it was just, um, and I, I wondered about whether the process of, of working through all that in the first book did actually make the creation of the structure and the plot of the second book a more straightforward process for you yeah look that's great that you you picked that up Alison because I'm it's absolutely I'm certain that that uh was what happened because yeah you kind of uh, in in the honorable thief I really wanted to introduce uh Benedict in particular with his very troubled ground and the terrible things that happened to him in his past, which um, didn't necessarily make him at times the most sympathetic character because I, I also didn't want to churn out. I mean, I, I've described him as I like, I want to see Indiana Jones and James Bond on their down days. Mm. I want to know what they're like when they're at home by themselves, you know, dealing with all the bad stuff that's happened. And, you know, we're, we're so used to seeing these heroes rampaging across the landscape, coping with these enormous enormously difficult situations and they pop out the other end and say, oh, brush themselves off, jump up, yeah, off we go. And we all know that's not the way things really work. Uh, so 
that's why the first book really focused on his character development in particular. Um, and in my mind, I always wanted to then go back to um, the female character who I'll have to remain, who has to remain nameless because things get a bit complicated in the second book, as you know. Yes. Uh, and uh, and I, I always I had in my mind that the Emerald Tablet would be uh, as much about her as it was about Benedict um, mm-hmm. because She's a, she's probably the, she's a character who I actually feel when I say closest to. It's not that I feel like she's me, but she's the one I probably have the greatest affection for. Strangely enough. Okay. Um, why did you write these books as novels and not screenplays? Because you do have that sort of screenwriting, script writing background. Why why did you feel they needed to be longer form books and not? Because you know I can see the TV series, like it's particularly with that second book, I can sort of you know see the whole miniseries laid out in front of me in a, in a way uh, your 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 tv your screenwriting background i i can feel it in the two books um, most particularly the second one so i'm just wondering why they're novels and not why did you not develop them as a, as a sort of series or something because i actually wanted to hold on to the stories and i know you know as i said with what happened with the war designer uh you once you write a screenplay or a script you lose control. I mean, unless you're an auteur who who does writes, produces, and directs yourself, which I never have no ambition to be that. Uh, you lose control of it as soon as it leaves your hands. I mean, you can have as many things in your contract about consultation. I can tell all the writers out there, you'll you'll good luck trying to actually uh, <laughs> enforce any of them seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just it's wave just a, it's, Yeah, exactly. It's they, it's lip service, uh, and so. Uh, I know that that's what happens, and I actually really wanted to be in control of these stories. I wanted them to end up the way I pictured them and the way I imagined them. Uh, and you know, the process of working with Kate at uh, Pan Millen, and I've had a couple of wonderful uh, editors there, Alex and Bree um, at Pan Millen, and also my agent Claire Forster, who's fabulous. And they have been absolutely brilliant at giving me advice and guidance and things. But but it's my I'm dri- I'm driving the car. I'm in, I'm driving down the highway and I'm in control of the wheel. And I actually really like that. <laughs> yeah, um, now one of the things I absolutely love about uh, both the books is that you draw you obviously draw so much on your work, you know, expertise and your research and the detail in them. Um, for anyone with an interest in history, archaeology, you know, anything, um, is just fascinating. Like, it's really great. And it really sets oh, the so. place. Like, you can feel, you feel like you're in the hands of someone who actually knows what they're talking about, which is great. Um, <laughs> given that's, that you, well, that's good no. First one. <laughs> given how much you like to research, like, given that, you know, you've done all of that research for your various aspects of your life, your work life, like, did you ever find that it actually gets in the way of writing the story? Like, have you ever kind of felt mm, that it's taking mm, control? Not really, because um, I do I do the bones of the research before I even start writing. So, for instance, in the Emerald Tablet, that which focuses on the period around the Suez Crisis and the Arab-Israeli Crisis, and you've got the Cold War, I did mountains of reading about the historical background. I already had a fairly good... Uh, basic knowledge of of what happened but um, heaps of newspaper articles and newsreels from the period I watched and just to really immerse myself in the history so I actually had a very good handle on and also and then the the, the angle of the story which is looking at alchemy I read 
for months on um, our chemical texts and, uh, you know, the history of Amy and uh, the philosophers who've talked about it. So I, I did this all in advance of starting to write. So I actually, and I took cop- I had copious notes uh, and details that never got used. Uh, and so that was... That was a pleasure. That was fun. And then, then I sat down and wrote with that information all there. Where it sometimes gets in the way is when I'm going, you know, Benedict races out of the Cairo Museum across such and such a road. And I go, oh, what road was that? Oh, God, okay. I have to find out what road it was in the 50s. And, you know, across the bridge. Oh, but was that bridge even there then? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so uh, and yes, uh, it, it's no no big deal if I got those details wrong. And I'm sure there are details there that I have got wrong but where possible where I could get information like that I actually would then research and find out exactly what things were like in 1956 and that's kind of fun I love research as you say so I enjoyed it. Okay so you um, you signed a two book contract with The Honourable Thief did you experience yeah. any pressure or stress about delivering the second book to a deadline like did you was that a difficult thing for you at all? Mm, no not at all I think probably because I'm prior to, to that prior to this which is you know completely self-motivated thing uh I've always been operating to some very very tight deadlines yeah. um really tight so my life my professional life has always been governed by that so no I don't I'm very good at uh, planning and thinking okay I mean I wrote I wrote the honorable uh, sorry the water designer we wrote that in eight weeks and so that was producing 95,000 words in eight weeks yeah. uh, and you know I so I can and the book I wrote for the Pacific for the Sam Neill series which was a 120,000 word manuscript I wrote in uh in three months right. so I I set myself little you know well I have to do this much by the end of this day this much by the end of the week and so I'm, I'm very used to that kind of thing so no I didn't I didn't find that uh, stressful no Okay, so what does it? So you you said you you know you set yourself word word count goals basically on a daily and weekly yeah. basis. So what does a typical Absolutely. writing day look for you? Like it look like for you? Is it a set number of hours? Is it a set time of the day? Like what do you? When do you do this? When do you get this done? Look, I have so many other things going on in my life between you know my work for TV and and having children and all the other things that get in the way of all of our lives. Uh, that I grab minutes whenever I can, and that might be 15 minutes at a cafe while I'm waiting for my daughter to do to do her taekwondo, or it might be, you know, beside the footy field while my son's playing footy. Um, no, actually, sorry, I don't do it when he's playing. I watch him when he's playing. He's training. It's okay. Got, I, I, there yeah. are enough listeners who hear me say this every <laughs> single week to know that they it's fine. Yes, we don't watch every single second of the footy game. It's good. It's but good. As long as it, as long as they aren't listening, no, they won't listen. Well, they, they won't listen. That's fine. Of All right. Not. Okay, that's the truth. Um, so. Yeah, I grab minutes when I can and, I, and I'll have myself and then by, like I'll think, all right, by the end of this day I need this much done, by the end of the week I need this much done and if I find it gets to Thursday and I'm not as far along as I need to, then the next day I have to do more. So, and it's not that everything I do is gold, I'm not, <laughs> but I just find by moving forward, even if you have to then come back and chop, 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 I just find it the progression means you feel you're going somewhere. So I, I find that really important for my process I can't labor over a sentence and produce three words by the end of the day or I really feel wheels are falling off yeah and are you someone who do you, like 
that you're actually managing like when, in the Emerald Tablet, for example, you've got the mystery of the tablet where it is, you've got a narrative arc of a relationship, you've got all the details of the, you know, all the various crises and things going on. You've got the ancient texts and archaeology, like there's a lot happening. <laughs> do you yes. plot all this out from the start or do you wait to discover what happens as you write in the sense of like, do you know where it's going? I do. I, I do have things uh, very tightly plotted when I start. Uh, the plot, as in the uh, the mystery, I mean, that, that remains fairly unchanged. But as I'm going, I mean, it sounds silly, but you, you know how it works. It, the characters do actually sometimes take you off in a different direction, which sounds weird because they are my inventions. Um, but they, you'd think I, you'd think that I could, if all the things I could keep them under control. But sometimes, sometimes things just go in a different, and you go, oh, actually, oh, maybe, oh, maybe we'll go over there. And then that requires rethinking where you're head, heading further down the track. Um, so I do start with it very tightly plotted because uh, I don't think. Or, as you say, it's it's so complex that if I was to just go, hell, let's go for it, I'd lose threads all the way. I have to keep backtracking, and that would really frustrate me. Mm. Do you like the, as you, you talked about the mystery? There's also like a quest aspect um, to the Emerald Tablet. Do you find that yeah. that helps with pacing and structure, like in that sort of sense of you know that forward yeah. motion? Absolutely, and and sort of knowing where because uh, you know I want I want readers to get immersed in the story and, you know, eager to see what happens next. You know, uh, page turn, it gets, is a word used so, or term used so often, but I, I want it to be something that really draws people in and that they're really engaged with. And so, yeah, that does require quest, the quest um, sort of uh, genre and setup is, is wonderful for actually drawing people through because, uh, you know, are they going to achieve their, their goal? Is it going to go where they think it's going to go? And, yeah, I think that's very important. Okay, so you talked about yeah, characters, you know, driving the story and going off and taking control and doing all those things. But what do you think is the key to creating a character that can hold up a series? Like, you know, um, Benedict's shoulders need to be fairly broad to carry a series. So what do you, like, what do you think is the key to cre creating a character that will keep readers coming back? Look, I, I think it's no different to human beings. I mean, they are basically human beings in paper form, aren't they? Mm. Uh, and if you meet someone who's interesting, complex and uh, engaging as a, as a person and, and doesn't always do quite what, what's expected, uh, then you're going to want to keep watching um, what they do because you don't quite know where they might end up. And and hopefully if they have some flaws and some some um, little chinks in the armour, you're you're hoping that things are actually going to get better for them, and you you know you you want to go on the journey with them and see where where they where they're travelling. And so I think the more complex they are, and the more human they are, I think probably they're we, we've moved to a stage now with with everything from literature to film and TV where where we want characters who are complex. I don't think we don't want the the knights in shining armour anymore and, and you know life's not like that we all know that and so I think to have complex characters that, that can go interesting places and and have really it could keep going I mean I'm thinking wow I think we can do Benedict Hitchens at, at age 70 how, how how far can we go with it <laughs> but 
The octogenarian archaeologist. <laughs> I kind of like well, they trotted Harrison Ford out again, didn't they? So. <laughs> exactly. Still going. Um, so where did you get the central idea, you know, of, of the Emerald Tablet? Like where, where did that sort of ding of this is what I'm actually going to write about, where did that come from? Were you Is it something that you had kind of thought about for a while or is it something that you spotted in a newspaper? Like how did it come about? <laughs> Well, strangely enough, um, you know, it's, I've, I've always been obsessed with the politics, history and politics of the Middle East. And the Sinai crisis has always really intrigued me because it's a very weird passage of events. Uh, and so historically, it's a really important period of time. Uh, and it didn't really make sense. Uh, the, the French and, and British invasion of Sinai kind of, it was ridiculous. It didn't really make a lot of sense. You know, they invaded and were there for a matter of days and then they turned around and left. And I've always thought, what, what was going on there? And I thought, let's come up. Why were they there? Maybe it's something nefarious or something else going on that we're not, we don't know yet. And so um, I thought, well, I'll come up with a reason they were there. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, and then the, um, but then also alchemy is something that has always intrigued me. Uh, not the mumbo jumbo esoteric um, idea of alchemy, but but real alchemy that that's been around for thousands of years, where where the, you know, it, it was a precursor of chemistry, you know, alchem e yeah. chemistry, uh, and. So the idea that there were these extraordinary men and women, some of the best best known alchemists were actually women, uh, that they were uh, basically describing uh, subatomic particles and and nuclear physics before they even had the instruments to prove uh, what they were saying was true. They they were just the most extraordinary thinkers, and the idea of transmutation, transforming material. Uh, objects we now know should be true and they they are doing this 3,000 years ago and I that's just always intrigued me so that was a wonderful opportunity and you know the emerald tablet was you know there are there are Greek travelers who describe seeing the emerald tablet that Alexander the Great found uh, and the descriptions you know that's that's the, the basis in history or the, the or the historical basis of the story is actually really quite strong and uh, so I hope people get something out, really take something away from that. Yeah, well, as I said, I, I actually found all that stuff absolutely fascinating. And the, con- the what, what I did find interesting, though, too, is the idea of, of knowing that as the author of this of this story that you've written, you've taken uh, what is, in essence, incredibly complicated stuff that you've obviously researched. Like you've obviously been down some rabbit holes with some of these things. And then, <laughs> Warrens. Not yeah, even yeah. Holes, and, Warrens. And then, of course, you have to then bring them back, put them into a story and make them, A, relevant to the story, but also um, accessible. And I think that that's something that do you – is that something that's – I mean, obviously you've done a lot, of, a lot of this kind of work, but is that something that you find – a relatively easy thing to do to take these incredibly complicated things and <laughs> and basically bring them to people who haven't done all of that research that you've done and don't have that understanding of the context and stuff. Look, that's something born of years and years of training because, yes, the problem for me always was that I would get totally immersed in the topic, you know, the nuts and bolts, the finest details, and then to start throwing that at people, they just you just see the eyes glaze over because they're either bored or just completely lost because they, they haven't spent months researching things as you have. So 
So I think it possibly goes back to my days as a as a lecturer at university and having to uh, condense some quite complex concepts to people who were just starting to study something mm. uh, and and communicate in quite uh, relatable and engaging ways. And then it, you know it's like you're throwing a, you're throwing a hook out and you know, a lot of fish will swim by, but then there'll be a few, a few fish will start sniffing around and you get them hooked. Um, and so it's, I, I do really strongly, if I do the same thing with um, embedding history and, you know, I do a food, a cooking show, TV series. I did one to Chandelier in Turkey, for instance. And so I, I'll teach, I'm trying to teach and, and impart knowledge of history almost subliminally like I just get it in there <laughs> it's been a refined it's, it's, a, it's taken me a long time to get there um, but I hope I've reached a point now where I can you know communicate history and interesting you know I think quite life, life changing um, information and knowledge in a way that uh, is not you know, um, daunting or, or boring. more importantly probably boring who wants to read something that no, nobody. Trust me. No, um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, the like the settings, like the sense of place in your stories is um is very, you know, very real. Like the the backdrop and um feels you know very much like another character in the story. Like there's a lot of um a lot of immersion going on. So you know, what are some of the things that you do to sort of conjure up that sense of place? Are there any techniques in particular that you you use? Look, it's quite funny. I, I mean, the places I'm describing, almost all I have been to, those I haven't, I have a very strong sense of what they'd be like because they're like places I've been. Mm. Uh, and I I actually, when I'm writing to set the scene, it's quite, it sounds weird, but I actually get a weird feeling. It's like I'm transporting myself <laughs> and then describing what I'm Experiencing, I can actually feel it. It sounds weird. I can actually feel it in my bones. I can feel what it's like to be there, and it's almost like goosebumps down the spine, down the neck. Kind of, I, it's like I'm transported there. So, um, and when it's been places I've been, I in my head I am back there, and so I'm communicating that uh, in, in words and hopefully effectively because they're they're all places I feel very strongly about and love deeply. So, yeah, I hope that that communicates. Yes, well, it does. So well done. Good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and what are some of the things, uh, just switching gears slightly, what are some of the sorts of things that you do to promote your novels? Are you kind of, are you out talking to people a lot? Are you are you online? Is there, you know, um, do you do social media? Like what kinds of things I'm are you doing? I'm social to... mediaing. Oh, yes, I'm social mediaing out the wazoo. Um, <laughs> I wasn't until I started, <laughs> until I started writing novels. I was, I get a bit pig-headed about things for no apparently good reason. Um, and I was determined not to be on social media, media ever. Um, <laughs> and then I was told I had to be. And so I was a good I was a good author and I got myself account set up and in fact it's been fantastic <laughs> I've really enjoyed it I know yes I know I can I'm big enough to admit when I was wrong um, the communicating uh, with people who have read my books uh, and uh, people you know people I don't know it actually is a real buzz to to hear from and, and communicate with people that I don't know who picked up my book in a bookshop and read it and that's actually 
an enormous thrill. Uh, so yes, I, the social media things are very, very important uh, thing to do. Uh, and I mean, that's really in this day and age the the main thing. Obviously, um, podcasts such as this one, uh, it's it's great to get uh, get the word out there. And um, you know, I, I do whatever is necessary uh, to to get to get the book promoted yeah. uh what yeah platforms like what is your preferred social media platform which one do you like the best uh which i like the best that's tricky because they all have their own thing don't they mm. um i really enjoy instagram um i do write too much though the captions often end up essays <laughs> which i know is not the intention <laughs> but people read them so that's all right um and i mean twitter i find is a different beast where i kind of just talk about other stuff often mm. uh but that draws people in and I mean I, I love I have, I've had a WordPress account for that is the thing that I have had for a very long time um, a blog uh, which I used to write about art market matters and then transformed into writing about writing matters uh, so that's probably the one I have the strongest emotional attachment to but um, but I'm probably using Instagram the most I think okay. and Facebook's really useful too all the, the writers groups on Facebook uh, are fabulous they're really really useful so and, where if yeah, people are looking, if people are looking for your for your blog, where will they find it? They'll find it at WordPress, um, and it's well actually if they just Google, uh, it's um, Megan Wilson Anastasius dot com. So okay. that's the website that will divert you to my blog. Excellent. Uh, and uh, there's also if you just Facebook, if you look up Megan Wilson Anastasius author, you will find me, uh, and. Twitter, I can't remember exactly what, I should remember what they are, shouldn't I? Shouldn't I? <laughs> That's okay. I'll find them and I'll put them in the show notes so that people can follow Thank you, you there. Thank you so no much. All. Um, all right, so, and what are you currently working on? Is there another, is there a third novel on the way or? There is, there Excellent. is. I'm, I'm, um, yes, uh, had a rethink on the plot lately, a very positive one um, that just for no apparent reason, you, your brain just sometimes, does these little skips and goes, hey, that would be interesting. I can't be specific because it's a bit too spoilery yeah, for, for the Emerald Tablet. Um, but, yes, um, I'm, that's that's where I'm headed. Excellent. And, yeah, so, yeah, it's wonderful. Third instalment coming yeah. our way. Fantastic. Ex- exactly. Okay. Yeah, very much. All right. So um, we're going to finish up our interview today with our infamous top three tips for writers. <laughs> so perhaps you would like to share yours with us. Absolutely. Um, look, I think number one is don't be daunted by what might seem like an insurmountable um, thing and just just start writing. Just write. Worst case scenario, you're going to throw a lot of stuff out, but that doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's practice, just like, you know, athletes go and practice. You, every, every, everything you write will make you better. So don't be scared. Um, Take advice and listen to advice. Get people to read your material and take advice. But but always remain true to yourself because ultimately if you're not writing something you love uh, that's that's important to you and means something to you, then there's no point. I, I would never write something just, you know, to market. I mean, I suppose I write, yeah, I guess I write for TV. I'm asked to write something and I do it, but not my, not my novels. That's, that's my world. So always... <laughs> Do something, you know, that's true to yourself. And the third would probably be uh, to, third would be to to just uh, have faith in yourself and don't be too hard on yourself. I think a lot of writers are really, really 
punish themselves and suffer, you know, feel they have to suffer terribly. And it's not to say that uh, it has to be a walk in the park and a load of fun all the time, but just be kind to yourself. I think a lot of writers are really, really hyper critical of themselves and none of us are perfect I think um, if you if you get something down and you, you get a manuscript written I mean how many people have written a full manuscript it's like that's an achievement even if it never gets published you've done it and I just yeah that that would that would be my advice I think just be kind to yourself Excellent and fabulous advice all round. Best of luck with the Emerald Tablet, Megan Wilson Anastasius. Look for it um, out in bookshops as we speak and, of course, look for Megan online for her various extraordinarily diverse interests and, <laughs> and other projects um, and try writing an it's intro. That's all I'm saying is read the bio and then you go write the intro. Um, but thank you very much for your time, Megan. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Alison. It's been a delight. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Very cool. Okay, great interview with Megan. Yeah. I'm not even going to try and pronounce her last name. No, but how, like I just can't believe the amount of stuff that she's done and oh. the amounts of things that she fits in and then she's just got this vast archaeological knowledge and historical Crazy. oh it's just yeah she was really really interesting to talk to yes anywho, anywho. Where were we? Yeah. all right so what are you doing in the coming week al uh well hopefully writing some words would be good that's my yes. you know basic um plan for the time being like now that i've recovered a little and I've walked around with the podcast in my ears I'm hoping that I might actually get some get some stuff done so fingers mm. crossed that we might actually have an, a massive output of words in the next you know week or so and you Val what, what are you going to be doing um I have been busy with jump into July so jump into July was a program well was a you know opportunity for people in the freelance writing masterclass program to to jump into July and get feedback on their articles and stuff like that. So I'll be wrapping that up because July will is, you know, over now. Over. Yep. And um I'm actually exploring a new platform called Fabulate and I'm going to explore that for our freelance writers. And uh Fabulate is kind of like a mm, I'm going to say like a matching service for people for brands who want content written. Uh, and f freelance writers who can write that content. Now, the thing with these sorts of um, services in the past is that they've been quite synonymous with content mills and very low-paying um, opportunities. But I have to say, in the preliminary investigation that I've done of Fabulate so far, they're definitely proper rates. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're not content mills in any way, shape or form. I've yet to see how the, I'm yet to go through the process to experience it, to see how the actual process works. But um, 
it, they, they have been working in conjunction with the MEAA, the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance, in developing the program and the signs are promising that the rates they are paying are proper rates. Oh. So we will see. I'm going we to be doing see. some investigation, further investigation to make sure that, you know, to really just to experience it for myself. So that should be interesting and I will report back. All right, so you're sacrificing so yourself on the I'm altar of <laughs> sacrificing myself. The things I do for my job. All right. Um, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Of course, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwannabearwriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>